0: Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. That is the great truth that we are here to consider this morning. It's the great truth that steadies our weary souls and sustains us through times that we encounter, such as the COVID-19 in our present day. As a child, I often stayed with a family when my parents were at work and, and I found out very soon that the father of this family uh, had a, a very typical qu- or typical answer to the questions that I would often ask him. He would come home from work and something would be said and I would ask him why why is a salt shaker shaped in that way or why are we eating this. It didn't really matter what the question was uh, this gentleman had the same answer and his answer was this to make little boys like you ask questions and I that that answer kind of made me chuckle once or twice, but I, I soon realized that that answer didn't satisfy me. I wanted more. I wanted to know the answers to my questions. We have questions today. As, as children, our questions are pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty basic at times. And we ask them because the adults around us, we believe they have the answers, and they can tell us. We want to know the answers to our questions. We want to learn. Children are inquisitive. They're learners. As adults, our questions get a little more complex. They get more more complicated as we think through the whys and the hows and the what ifs and and what do you mean by this. And we ask complicated questions and we want answers. We don't want to hear a a, a basic reply of, well, to make you ask questions. We want to know the answers to the questions we ask. And COVID-19 certainly brings up many questions for us. We have questions such as, how long will this last? Why is it going on? Will my family remain healthy? What, what is going on? Where is the Lord? Some might even ask, why would a good God allow something like this to happen? Is God really there? Is God working? How can God use this? We have significant questions. All ages have significant questions. Children, teens, watching right now, you have questions about everything going on. And we want answers. I would remind you this morning that we are not the first generation of believers to have questions for God. We are not the first generation of saints to encounter a significant trial that caused us to step back and examine what it is that God is doing. We're not the first generation of saints to, to step back and ask of God, how long, O oh Lord? We see that question all throughout the Psalms. We are not the first generation that is, has that is gone through a crisis of belief. And has had their faith challenged by the situations surrounding them. So this morning, I want us to turn to Habakkuk. And we're going to look at Habakkuk and consider one who lived by faith while at the same time having serious questions of God. He, he confronted his questions and took them to God. If you're turning to Habakkuk, if you're having a hard time finding it this morning, it's one of the minor prophets located between Nahum and Zephaniah. It's in the Old Testament, kind of towards the end of your Old Testament. As you turn there, I want to tell you a little bit about Habakkuk. Habakkuk found himself in a crisis of belief for a dark night of the soul, a time in which he looked upon his land of Judah and saw evil all around him. He saw the wickedness of those who were supposed to be leading in righteousness. And so he calls out to the Lord. When he calls out to the Lord, what he learns of is the coming invasion of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. He learns that God is going to do something that it wasn't what he expected. And he asks questions of God throughout the book. And I'm thankful for books like Habakkuk, like Job, like the Psalms in Scripture, where God's people ask him questions. They come to him asking sincere questions. I'm thankful that we have the book of Habakkuk for a time such as this. A time for many of you, I would say, are probably like me. A few months ago, you were getting tired of, of the negative news. The same thing that seemed to be going on time and time again when you turned on the television or read the newspaper or opened up Facebook, the infighting, the backstabbing, all the just negativity that was going on. And we said, would it just end? Well, it's ended. Now you turn on the news and all you hear is about COVID-19, maybe not exactly what we wanted. And so now we t- throw up our hands and go, why? Why do we find ourselves here? It's a similar situation that Habakkuk found himself in. I want to give you a, an overview of the book, and then we're going to look at three principles that we can draw out of the book. And so we're, we're going to go through the three chapters. If you think about the book as a structure, what you find is that chapters 1 and 2 of Habakkuk are a, a dialogue between he and God. It's a time where, where Habakkuk brings his complaints and questions to God. God gives an answer. He brings another question and complaint to God. And God gives an answer. That's what you find in the first two chapters. the end of chapter 2, you find a series of woes pronounced upon the Chaldeans. And then in chapter 3, you find a psalm or a prayer of Habakkuk as he praises the Lord for who he is in the midst of difficult times. So let's read through the book of Habakkuk together. First, let's look at Habakkuk's first complaint and question. There in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read this. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw... We read in verse 5 and verse 6, we'll just get the heading of God's answer. God's reply is, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now this would certainly be an answer from the Lord that Habakkuk did not anticipate. And I would, I would beckon to say that it is one that he would not even have wanted. He did not say, Lord, would you please send a vicious and a wicked nation among us to conquer us and to, to, to control us. That's not what Habakkuk was wanting. Habakkuk was wanting justice to be served. He was wanting the law to be elevated. He was wanting iniquity cast away. He was wanting violence to cease. He was wanting the Lord to hear. And the Lord heard, but his answer was to say that I am sending in another nation to rule over you. Verse 12 of chapter 1, we read Habakkuk's second complaint, where he says this. He says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Do you see the the struggle that Habakkuk is having here? He, He knows who God is, verses 12 and 13. He reminds himself, he takes a step back and reminds himself of who God is. And then he asks a question. He calls on God's righteousness. Will you continue to watch and see as this goes on? Oh Lord, what, what are you doing? Habakkuk is asking. In verse two or chapter two, verse one, Habakkuk, after asking the question, says, "I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what He will say to me." And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk's posture is that he knew God was working. He knew God heard. He knew God would answer. And so he says, I will take a stand at my watch post. I will wait. I will, I will await his answer. I will listen. And the Lord does indeed answer in verse 2 of chapter 2. The Lord says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. by his faith. See, God answers and, and he answers reminding Habakkuk that he works upon his timing. God's timing is not always our timing. God's plans are not always our plans. God does what he wills and according to his will and according to his timing. And so he tells Habakkuk, await its appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it. If you appeal to me and ask questions and it seems slow, just be patient and wait. He acknowledges, listen, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But, Habakkuk, may I remind you that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous live by faith. So we come to chapter 3. God has reminded Habakkuk that the righteous live by faith. In Habakkuk 3, we see his prayer, a declaration of faith, the resolve of of the faithful man who is in the midst of a difficult time, who has questions, who has sincerely brought them to the Lord. And he prays this psalm to the Lord. We'll read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to 17 for the sake of time. Chapter 3, verse 1 this is a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigunath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the, mi- in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In, the- in wrath, remember mercy. And very quickly, do you see the appeals of Habakkuk here? He says, I've heard your report. I've heard your answer. Would you please revive it? Would you make it known? And oh God, when you make it known, when you answer, when you act in wrath, would you remember mercy? Habakkuk continually appeals to the character of God. Oh Lord, remember mercy. In verse 17 of chapter 3, we read Habakkuk's great declaration of faith. As he looks at the situation, as he's spoken to the Lord, there at the end of verse 16, Habakkuk says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk was a man of faith. Habakkuk was a man who had questions. He was a man living by faith. He was a man looking upon the condition of the land, the situation that he was in. And he had serious questions, like many of us today. He took those questions to God. And I think there's Three principles that we can learn from Habakkuk that are meaningful for us in the time that we find ourselves in. Here's the first one. Is that our posture in asking questions is important. Our posture in asking questions is important. Look at chapter two, verse one. When Habakkuk comes to the Lord and he asks a question, he is not accusing the Lord. there's There's a significant difference between a question and an accusation. If I come home from work one day, and my son is supposed to mow the grass. And I come home, and he hasn't mowed the grass. There's a difference between me looking and going, "Okay, he typically does what dad says for him to do." I wonder what happened. And I look at him, and I say, "Braden, why, why didn't you mow the grass?" And he says, "Well, this happened, or that, or I wasn't feeling well." Da, da 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 da. Oh, okay. It was a sincere question. I wanted to find out. That's a significant difference in me coming home and saying, "Why didn't you mow the grass?" There's a difference in a question that is posed as wanting to know, wanting to learn, wanting to understand, as opposed to one that is an accusation. Habakkuk's posture was a question of learning. It, it It was one to question and say, God, I know who you are, but God, I see everything going on and I don't understand. God, would you please, please answer me? You see, Habakkuk is a man struggling to understand. He's a man hurting. He's a man longing for justice. He is a man in the middle of the crisis of belief, as many of us are in this current situation. And I would urge you to posture yourself before the Lord, just as Habakkuk did, that you would come before the Lord and say, God, I know who you are. I know you've been faithful all my days, and I know how you've shown yourself to work. But God, I don't understand. How long, O Lord? How long? Posture yourself the way Habakkuk, posture yourself before the Lord. The second principle that we can understand and we need to know is that God welcomes our sincere and honest questions. God welcomes them. You you can think about this all through Scripture. Even as early as Moses, when when God calls Moses to go and and to bring his people out of of Egypt, Moses has a, a litany of questions for God, and God answers those questions. We see the questions of the psalmist. How long, O oh Lord, or, and, and why do the wicked seem to prosper? And, and, and all sorts of questions through the Psalms. We see the questions of Habakkuk. We see questions of, of people in the, in the Gospels when they, when they meet Jesus and they talk to him and they ask him questions and he answers. God welcomes our sincere and honest questions. What we learn from Habakkuk is, is that there's two kind of guardrails that we can think of when we think about our questions and our questions being answered. Here's the two guardrails that, that hold our questions in check. One is our knowledge of who God is. Our knowledge of who God is. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, the Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong." This is a theological statement from Habakkuk where he steps back and reminds himself who God is. What does he say? He says, God is eternal. He says, you are from everlasting. God is eternally existent. He is magnificent and he is much more than we can. We are finite beings. God is infinite. The second thing, he says, oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. He's expressing the the self-existent, eternal nature, independence of God. Yahweh, Lord, that God, the great I am. He is the holy one. He will not, he cannot sin. James 1.13 goes to, so far as to say that God cannot be tempted by evil. In God there is no sin. He is holy, he is righteous. And Habakkuk has to remind himself of that. The next thing he says is we shall not die. This is a significant statement because Habakkuk's reminding himself that God is faithful to honor his covenant. He is not going to allow his people to ultimately perish. He will preserve a people unto himself. God is a faithful promise keeper. You know what we have to know and we have to bank on right now, church, is that he said in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There, there's all sorts of questions about tomorrow. There's all sorts of challenges that we face. But the church will not perish in these days. It will not perish. Nothing will destroy the church, the people of God. The people of God will always be because Christ protects and builds and guards his church. Finally, he says, you have ordained. You have ordained. God is providentially working over all things. He is working out his plan. He has a plan. You who are purer eyes than to see evil, God is righteous, Habakkuk reminds himself. Habakkuk is reminding who God is. See, our theology, our understanding of who God is influences the way we approach God, the questions we have. We can't come to God just out of feelings and situations and let our feelings or our situations trump our knowledge of who God is. In the dark moments of the soul, we have to remember what we know to be true. We have to cling to the truth of who God is and allow the truth of who God is to propel us to respond and live by faith in Him. Habakkuk didn't understand Everything going on. You and I don't understand everything going on. But we do understand who God is and we trust Him to get us through these days. So the first guardrail is to remember who God is. The second guardrail is to persevere, to live by faith. We see that in the midst of this, Habakkuk lives by faith. In 2, verse 4, God reminds Habakkuk. He says, but the righteous shall live by by faith. In 3, 17 and 19, we read that Habakkuk declares his faith in the Lord, that no matter what happens, he will trust in the Lord, the God of his salvation. No matter what happens, we rejoice in him. Now, why should he have faith? Why, why should we have faith? Is it not just wishful thinking? Is it not blind hope to say, I have faith that my hope is in Christ? Oh, no. No. I would contend to you that the Christian, the genuine follower of Christ, knows nothing of blind hope. We have a confident faith that's based on who God is and what he's done. We have a faith that when it's challenged and when it struggles, steps back and remembers who God is. That remembers that God is holy. He is righteous. He is providentially working. He has a plan. He is independent and always exists. He is eternal and almighty and powerful. And we can trust him. We can lean on Him. We can have hope in Him. I have a faith based on Christ who we celebrate this day that walked into Jerusalem, rode into Jerusalem in a way that was unexpected. To die a death, to suffer and to be beaten in a way that was unexpected. And to rise from the grave unexpectedly. He suffered and he bled and he died for us. And we celebrate this day the moment that he walks into Jerusalem. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey knowing full well what awaits him. We worship the God who lived in history. Christ's life and ministry were public. We've seen what he did. And we rejoice in what he did. And because of what he did, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope in the future And our hope in what God will do is based on what God has done and who he is. Our hope is a confident hope. Our faith is based on who God is. So the guardrails of who God is and living by faith inform our questions to be sincere and genuine to God. The final principle this morning is that we can be confident that God is working. We can be confident that God is working. Turn back to chapter 1. Verse 5, when God answers Habakkuk, look at what he says. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. When God answers Habakkuk, he says, listen, the the scope of my work is much beyond what you think it is. See, we're, we're prone to want God to answer our request in my house, in my life, in my time, in my way. Aren't we? That's what we desire. And God says, "Listen, Habakkuk, I'm working. But I'm doing a work among the nations. I'm doing a work in greater scope than you can ever imagine. I am working." Verse 6. He's working in a way that Habakkuk, as we said, neither wanted or expected. His plans are greater. Chapter 2, verse 3, God says, "The vision awaits its appointed time. If the answer seems slow, wait for it; it will surely come." God is working in his timing. He's working in his timing. Babylon, the Chaldeans may be puffed up, they may be full of pride, but you just wait. You live by faith in who I am and what I'm doing. I am working. Listen, today we are called to live by faith. I I don't understand everything that's going on. I, I don't understand the timing. I don't understand why it's happening the way it is. But I do understand that we serve a great and an awesome and a mighty God. And He is working. And we can bring our requests to Him. I do understand the truth that we sang that when darkness seems to hide His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. I understand the truth that His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood and when all around my soul gives way he then is all my hope and stay on christ the solid rock i stand let me ask you this question this morning where is your hope we, we talk about asking god questions that's the question for us this morning is where is your hope where is my hope christian Steady your gaze on Christ and keep your hope in Him. He has been faithful throughout history. He's been faithful all your days. I I know, for one, I can say that He has taken me through many difficult and dark days. And He has been faithful in the midst of everyone, even when I had no idea what was happening, why it was happening, or how it would come out. God is faithful. And you can have hope in Him. To the skeptic or the unbeliever, I would just ask you, where is your hope found? Is your hope found in just this present life? Is your hope found in the vanity of riches that can be so quickly taken away? In a life that is shown to be so frail and fragile? That can end in a moment? Is that all that your hope is in? See, I would contend to you that there is a much more sure and steady anchor. And that is Jesus Christ. I would contend to you that the hope we profess is not in the situation, it's not in feelings, it's not even in the benefits of what Christ offers. The hope that we profess is in Christ himself. It's in Christ himself. There's a modern hymn, how rich a treasure we possess, in Jesus Christ our Lord, his blood, our ransom and defense, his glory, our reward. You see, that's the truth for you this morning. Is that true, unfailing, beautiful hope is found in Christ. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This Christ who came, the Son of God, born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life without sin, who died on the cross in our place, was buried and three days later arose from the grave, victorious over death and ascended into heaven has promised that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved he has promised that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved I would call you this morning to repent to turn from your sins and to turn in faith to Christ oh how rich a treasure he is how rich a treasure That we would live in faith, trusting him all of our days. No matter what the days hold, we rest in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in you, our great God. We rest in you. God, I pray that as we navigate these days, that God, we would bring questions to you. And that God, we would wait patiently on you to answer, knowing that you are a great and mighty God. So increase our faith, Lord, we pray. I pray for those listening, God, who are unbelievers, who perhaps are skeptical. God, I pray that their questions would not be accusations, but God, that they would sincerely ask you and seek you out. To come in humility, to learn who you are. And God, I pray that you would do a great work in their lives. God, that many would trust you and turn their lives over to you in faith. God, steady our faith in these days. Go before us and bless us, God, for your glory. For your glory, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.